Welcome to the Spilt Podcast. I'm Charlene. And I'm Tanya. We confess we are spillers. Not in the way that you may think, but it is likely you are one too. So if you've ever believed you are less than, invisible, or made to doubt yourself, we're glad you're here. We have been there, and in some respects, we're still there, because life is a journey. We are not doctors, therapists, or life coaches, but our collective life experience has taught us a thing or two. It is not a mistake that our paths are colliding today. So let's dig in, dig deep, and talk about why we spill. Welcome back, spillers. This is episode 17. feel like we're moving right along with these episodes. And Charlene is going to tell you about what we did last week. So remember last week we talked about intentions and our goal this year. And we're bringing you all along with us to try to start implementing this in your life to live your life with intention and intentionally. Today's topic, just going to give a little disclaimer, could be heavy. It's a heavy hitter. We're going to be discussing grief. And so if you feel at this point that something that you can't listen to today, we want to put that out there. But I think that you'll be um, enriched by this this episode. So stick with us. And for our challenges and triumphs that we like to discuss before each episode, my challenge this week is this episode. (laughs) This is the one we've been putting off. This is the topic that probably kick-started my depression. So I'm just putting it out there. And for the triumph, I'm doing the episode. (laughs) I'm actually doing it even though there's still a lot I need to work through with grief. And it always gets me. This is the one that chokes me up. But I'm doing it. So there's my triumph. What about you? (laughs) We're so proud of you. Um, What about me? Well, my challenge this week is again balance in my life my challenge I guess would say is my mom (laughs) not that she's like a challenging person but (laughs) she I I'm having to add extra to my life for the next well until six weeks by having her have physical therapy and occupational therapy. So that takes a lot of time. It takes two, almost two whole days out of my week. So that's my, that is my challenge. But my triumph is I did set a boundary and her expectations about our outings. <laughs> She typically, when I take her out, I will take her to lunch, but I can't do that every single time. 
So I set that expectation for her. And even yesterday, she was like, it seems so weird that you're just going to take me to my therapy and then take me right back home. <laughs> so, so that will be probably my ongoing uh, challenge. So a little different this time, I'm going to start this out. I usually define the topic that give you a dictionary definition, but I feel like there is no dictionary definition for grief, at least not what I deem appropriate for this discussion. And instead, I'm going to read this little passage for you that I wish I would have found a long time ago, but actually I didn't find it till a little over a year ago when we lost my mother-in-law. And it says, grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give but cannot. All of that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in the hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. So, that tells you how this episode is going to go. Yes. <laughs> going to pull out your heartstrings, possibly, but hopefully you're going to learn something and experience some healing. If you have any unresolved grief out there, and as we talk about it, you're going to find that you don't have to have the death of someone close to you to experience grief. But I will go through these types of grief, the 16 ways people grieve, and some of them you're going to recognize, but there's a lot of them I had never heard before. So I think it's important to go through this. Number one is normal grief. The emotional distress that will accompany a trauma such as death or other loss. Then there is the complicated grief. The type of grief that worsens over time. And traumatic grief. The grief that you feel after a sudden or unexpected loss of a loved one. Chronic grief. A grief that just does not subside. Anticipatory grief. It's the grief that you feel when you're waiting for a loved one to pass. Disenfranchised grief. Deep grief you feel over the loss of a relationship that is outside the typical family structure or other recognized relationships. Distorted grief may give you feelings of guilt and anger. Exaggerated grief start out as normal grief but grow with intensity as time passes. Masked grief when you experienced you may not even be aware that symptoms such as anger and impulsive behavior are related to a loss. Inhibited grief can manifest in the form of chronic headaches, stomach pains, and even muscle and body aches. Collective grief, when grief affects a whole community, a city, a country, the world. Cumulative grief. When a current loss may dredge up feelings of a loss that you suffered in the past. Prolonged grief. When normal grief lasts for 12 months or longer. Abbreviated grief. A short-lived but bona fide grief. 
delayed grief, when your grief was postponed for a matter of weeks, months, and sometimes years. Absent grief, where you may show few or no signs of grief. So we'll talk about some of these and they're going to overlap and you may be experiencing more than one and you may not have realized that you were even experiencing one or the other, but you're going to hear about these types sprinkled throughout this podcast episode. Uh, I do want to say that there's five stages of grief and here's what they are and what they mean. So the number one is denial. Denial is a normal reaction to rationalize your overwhelming emotions. It's a defense mechanism and it buffers the immediate shock of a loss. Anger. Anger is a numbing effect of the denial stage of grief, but get when that starts to wear off. So the pain or the loss will start to firmly take hold as we search for blame. We feel intense guilt and we lash out. Bargaining. Bargaining is all the what-if stage of grief, and it serves as an important purpose. It provides that temporary escape from pain, provides hope, gives a person time to adjust to the reality of the situation. Then there is depression. This type of depression is not a sign of mental illness, but it is an appropriate response to a great loss, and you might experience intense sadness Decreased sleep, reduced appetite, loss of motivation are common. And then there's the acceptance part of grief. So acceptance is referring to accepting this, the reality of the loss, the fact that nothing can change the reality. And it does not mean that the person is okay with the loss. So some of us get stuck. And there is a great graphic that Charlene and I found, and we're going to post that as the week that we're talking about this, but it highlighted the stages and then it showed like a a graph. So you've all seen like a linear graph probably where you kind of have that little line that's climbing or going down or whatever. (laughs) And the line on this graphic is just all over the place. It's like, back and forth and up and down. And so that is just really helps normalize the feelings that surround grief because I tell there's hardly anyone that just does that perfect little line that goes up and just follows the stages in some kind of balanced equation type thing. So it's definitely just like mental health. We talk about Healing's not linear, emotions, all this, but like, no, grief is just all over the place and you're not going to make sense to yourself most days. You're not going to make sense to people around you, but I just want to emphasize that is normal. Even though you feel abnormal, processing like that, I, I think is very normal. So we... We go back to my story. I've kind of told you, like I had these traumatic events happen and as a child and people were dying. So it was my parents, which I didn't remember my dad's death, but I do remember the impact of the people around me. And then my mother's 
I was there and I remember bits and pieces of being there. I've told you my struggles with guilt and shame about that and how I had to kind of resolve that I was a child. I couldn't change it. It wasn't my fault. And then all the things I I watched the people around me grieve. And then I thought, oh, well, if I don't like outwardly show my sadness, then they know I'm strong and that I'm better and I'm okay. And all this stuff that was going on and how my brother's reaction was different. And kind of that's where it all started for me. I remember, I feel like this is symbolic. I don't think that funeral homes do this anymore. But whenever my mother died, the family set in a different area of the funeral home. And now I think a lot of times they reserve the first few rows or whatever, which I think is much better. But we were off to the side and there was this curtain in front of us. This is me remembering as five years old that we had this sheer curtain over us. Oh, like a veil. Yeah, I was like, it's like the veil, you know. <laughs> but it was, it's very symbolic. It's almost like we were being hidden because we were the immediate family. Were we being sheltered or something? But I remember staring through that curtain and just feeling like it, I was in another world or something. But yeah, I don't think anyone does that. If you remember that, if anyone have ever experienced that, drop us a comment or something or leave us an email. I would like to know, did I invent that? Because like I've said, I don't have anyone else to discuss that with now because I've lost my brother. But I definitely remember that happening and it just feeling kind of eerie. It was spooky to me. So... That's just, that's just one little particular memory I had, but I still feel like, I still feel like that even though that was a huge event to be a little girl and not have parents, I still like just kept on going, right? Like I said, I was very strong child and people thought I was strong and resilient and all those things. And then around the age of 13, I did lose a good friend. And that was one of those, what did I say? It was called cumulative, a community loss. Like a family lost their daughter. A bunch of us lost our friend. The community was just kind of in shock. Because you see, there was a perfectly healthy teenager that essentially just dropped dead. Mm. She had an undisclosed heart issue. And that was a really hard loss for me. Because I just kept thinking, like, someone my age just died out of nowhere. It wasn't even like, you know, a a crap, like an accident where sometimes that happens. That's the number one cause of young people is dying from an accident. It was just so surreal. And I just remember like so many days thinking about it, being sad about it, crying about it. And like our whole school mourned it. If anyone is listening to me um, that went to school with me, you'll know what I'm talking about. But like 
that had a tremendous effect on me for the longest time. That was like a true loss because I was old enough to know exactly what was going on and the finality of that death and just feeling so broken about it. And not every young person or teenager will experience something like that. And maybe the first time you ever feel loss is like the loss of a grandparent or something like that. But it definitely did affect me and a lot of us. And it was, it was different because you could grieve with a community and your friends and their family. So part, that part was good for us, even though it was so sad, but like to have those people that are close to you that you were able to grieve with. But a lot of death is really very lonely and individual. But so then I went on and I've already told this, like I lost my grandfather a year after I got married. And I understood that he, he struggled so hard with some health problems that lingered on trying to think if it was around six months. So that's the kind of grief that you, you are anticipatory. Like we knew it was coming. He couldn't go on much longer with all the things that were failing in his body. But we did have that time. I just remember like I had moved out of state. My husband was in the military going back as much as I could. And all these different family members stepping up and being there for my grandmother. And like that was a sad time, but it was also kind of, it's inspiring when you see people come together and everybody's helping. And so that was a unique thing to walk through. And then when my grandmother died, she lived such a like long, full life, but we still had a few days realizing that she was at the end and she's in the hospital and we're able to go see her and be with her. And for a few days she was getting better and she was talking and then she kind of started going back downhill. And that's something that happens with older people. So one day my brother came in because I told him she's not doing that great anymore. Like he had seen her and she was doing better. So he came in the room and they had put her back on a breathing tube to help her. And she, but she was still awake and she like, motioned with her um, hands and touched her chest when he was telling her he had to go. And he answered for her and said that he knew, he goes, you love me. And she said, she kind of nodded. And I was like, he goes, I know I love you too. And it was a like, I was witnessing that they were so close. <laughs> this is where I get emotional. So close, but he had broken her heart so many times because they told you all the problems he had growing up and like addiction and just oh the stuff he did. You know, I've mentioned that he went to prison before, but that's the last thing she ever told him with her hands because she couldn't say it with her words. So I was honored to be a witness to that. And it was extremely emotional. But I'm glad, I'm glad they were able to say that to each other and that I was able to see it and witness it 
And so here's what, here's for me, why I think I really had a hard time processing one year later when my brother died is a relative had pulled me aside and said, your grandmother truly believes that he has so much potential. She always believed in him and she always believed that he was going to live up to his potential. And so I was like, I know she believed that. I believe that. Like I'm carrying, she passed that on to me that I believe he was going to overcome all the past things that had happened and just do something great because he had was 40 years old at that time. So I just, I just had all this faith in that. And I had seen a pretty big turnaround. Like I said, the few months before he died, but then when he died suddenly, I just, I just was like, but my grandmother and I believe that he was going to do something great. You know, and I'm not saying he never did anything great. He touched a lot of people's lives, but he didn't fulfill that potential that my grandmother and I both agreed that he was going to fulfill, I think. And I just could not let it go. Like, but I, cause I had things in my mind, how it was going to go. And then it didn't happen that way. And I was stuck because I couldn't change what had happened. But like I've told you before about like all the dreams and me trying to change what happened. So I was doing like, the what if stage, the denial stage, I could, maybe my anger stage, I told you I had problems with my relationship with God for a long time after I lost my brother. So that was my anger stage. Um, but then there was like that time I had never experienced marital problems before. So those are the years after that marital problems followed me. I had this at times that I felt like I wasn't doing enough for my kids. So yeah, I was, I was just a mess over losing my brother and realizing like I was in that depressive state to not getting out of it. And it's still very hard to work through those three stages. And I'm not, I'm still not completely there, even though I don't really feel like I battled depression anymore. But we did know that we needed to do this episode. And I don't know when I said to you, like I said, oh, I think I need to wait on that one. Because yeah. we've talked about, oh, we have this, you know, we want to do hard topics here, whatever. None of them are easy. But like, nope, that one I have to wait. I still have to wait. And then I decided when we started planning out season two, like, okay, I think it's important. I feel the calling that I need to do this episode. And then I had some information about a family member who's very important to me is battling a terminal illness and not expected to be around much longer. And, but we don't know. We don't know. In the end, we don't know what is God's plan. But I had the opportunity to go visit 
yesterday. And then Charlene's like, do we need to change the lineup of the grief episode? Because you're getting ready to go deal with something that's emotional and it involves grief and all the things I was talking about. And I was like, nope. I thought about it all of like two seconds. I got, we still got to go. We still got to make this very authentic and raw. (laughs) And then I discussed it even this a few days ago with my counselor. I was like, so I had the grief episode plan, but this is going on in the background in my family. And, you know, I have a lot of emotions stirred up. It's like emotions with childhood and just like going back home, which I call home, you know, East Texas and just all these things. And I said, but I still think I'm going to go through with it. And she's like, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I believe in you. And I think you should do it because so often in our, our processing grief, It can feel so emotional and so overwhelming that we find a way to just table it. We just stack it. We put it somewhere. We shove it off to the side. We bury it because it's just too much to deal with right there at the, at the time being. And we don't get any further in the healing process. So I did it. I I talked about it. I'm here to talk. We're still going to talk, but I just going to let Charlene say some stuff about grief too, because she has some thoughts about alternative forms of grief and that they're not always about death because some things that she's experienced. So I'm going to let her talk too. I just want to say I'm proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. I want to say that because... I know this was a really hard one for you, especially the things that have popped up recently. And so you did it. Yeah, you did it. Okay. So I do want to talk about some other types of grief. And as Tanya was talking at the beginning about these different uh, it's titled The 16 Ways People Grieve. And I was able to identify with a lot of them. And I didn't recognize that for a better portion of my life, I was doing various types of grieving. So, of course, there's just like normal grief, right? But under the traumatic grief, it's like a term, it's phrased in a loss of like a, of a person, a loved one. But I would say that it can also be a grief after a traumatic event in your life, whether you, like for me, it, it manifested in how I began conducting my life post my abuse as a child, you know, with the neighbor, I just didn't know how to process that, what to do with it. And it was kind of like just a, I felt like it was a, I was just lost after that. I just was lost. I feel like 
is it like a grief of a loss of self? Yeah. Like you don't know who you are. Loss of innocence. Maybe yes. Too. Loss of innocence. Yeah. Definitely. Because in my story on the heels of that, then I was more interested in more sexualized things with the magazines at a friend's house and such that one of her parents had. So yes, it was a loss of my innocence too, too young. And I was not prepared to handle that. And so I was doing this like grieving, but I didn't know it. You know, how did I know that? I was like eight years old. So how did I know? So I wanted to just touch on that a little bit, but then I also wanted to touch on that there was one called distorted grief that you may, that might give you feelings of guilt and anger. And that just popped up during my teen years. I had other reasons to be angry during that time, but it like came about. I always had this undercurrent of anger that I don't know what to do with. I don't know why it's there. It's just this subtle undercurrent of anger and it pops up more so where I'm angry at myself, but then I'm also can be angry at other people for dumb reasons. And it was just that I carried that around and I spoke about my guilt that I carried from that experience with the other abuse. I just carried that around feeling as though if I had said something, if I would have ran home and told my mom, things could have been different. Maybe I would have gotten help. Maybe I wouldn't have had to go through my whole life. So I felt angry that I didn't and guilt that I didn't. This, And I don't even know if that makes sense to anybody else, but... So I just wanted to like touch with that because I I still am wrestling with how to calm that and that's part of my healing. But most of that comes with being angry at my at myself about it, but I still don't know how to calm it because it just kind of resurfaces often. It kind of never goes away. And then I wanted to touch on the type of grief that is called disenfranchised grief, a loss of family connections, because after my parents' divorce and, well, there was the loss of my family. I didn't have my family anymore. My dad lived someplace else with somebody else, with this other person that he married. We still lived with our mom. Then we went to spend the summer with my dad and we were only going to be there this summer. But during that summer, some shifty things happened and we never got to go back home to our mom. And then we moved to Texas and there was just this disconnect with my mom's family and like my aunts and uncle and cousins and such. And it was a long time before I even saw some of those cousins again, like 30 years 
like two summers ago, we finally all got reconnected. And that was a huge loss. And it wasn't because they didn't try, but it was because other people controlled the situation. And it just was like, well, they're not a part of my family anymore. I'm not married to your mother anymore. I don't need to be with these people anymore. So thus, my I didn't get to be part of that either. And so that was a, a loss that was just kind of cut off and and sad because they were people that were cared about me and um I didn't get a choice. I didn't get a choice in that and it it took some time to be able to reconnect and get that back. And that was a loss. It was a loss of people I loved and people that loved me and wanted best for me, good for me. And that I call it a lifeline was just, just cut off and, and severed. And I didn't get a say in it. And so there was that kind of grief, but I also want to talk about the masked grief. When you have experienced something, you may not even be aware of symptoms like anger or impulsive behavior related to a loss. And now I'm going to relate this to the loss of self during my teen years when I was looking at these grief, all this, these different types of grief, it was brought to my attention that it was like, wow, this is what I was experiencing then. I was very impulsive and I was very angry and I was doing things in my life and acting out in such a way, but it wasn't healthy or good for me. And it was still not just me being a, a bad girl. It was just me doing things, trying to like survive. And I know that might sound extreme, but even though they were bad things that I was doing and acting out, I was in a bad family home unit. So it was me screaming for help, really, and nobody around me could recognize it. And so I just want to say there are all kinds of different types of grief. And uh, the, I will say that the inhibited grief, where you, your body takes on the symptoms, like symptoms of grief, like for me, it manifested in a chronic illness, like eating food is a challenge. I get these weird headaches that put me in the bed for days. I have experienced the headaches since I was a child and no one ever really knew why. So. That was just it being in my body, the all that grief, pain. It's just like stored up in me. And the connections that I make, 
getting right now, which I need to have a, <laughs> I need to make an appointment with my, with my therapist over this, has me just kind of like sad, <laughs> really sad. And then I want to talk about delayed grief because that one really struck me. And I went through a period of time after getting married where I just stuffed all of my past aside. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm the good Charlene now. <laughs> and so I don't need to worry about any of that stuff. And it wasn't until later in my marriage that I couldn't keep it under wraps anymore. I was still having that grief. I got the depression started just bubbling up and I was just sad. I was angry and I was sad. And that's when I started really spilling all over the place. And so that was just delayed grief as an adult from things way, way in the past. But the other delayed grief I want to talk about was a normal grief. First, I'll say a normal grief because I've spoken about my son's illness and his journey with cancer. And that it was normal grief, finding out that my child had cancer. Nobody ever wants to hear that word, especially when it has to do with your your child and it doesn't matter how old your child is either because they're still your they're still your babies that's how I view it that was a shock that was a a shock to my soul and I did grieve it but I stuffed it I stuffed it I didn't let it spill out and it was not because I had to hold it all together because if I let myself feel at all, I was going to lose it. I was going to lose it because I was his primary caregiver. I took him to every appointment. I took him to every treatment. I cared for him in between treatments. I cut his hair when it was falling out. I was that person and I, it wasn't until after he began post-treatments, post trying to get back to work, post him like really living life again. Then I was like crying and weepy all of the time, even as I am right now, because I didn't let myself feel it. And, and I was getting mad at myself for being weepy and crying <laughs> because I just don't, still don't know what to do with it. He's doing well, but there's still some issues and every little thing makes me go. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? And so it's not ever far from my mind. And 
And just like, it's, it's not probably the right kind of comparison, but in our, in our world, in our societies, people come around maybe right at the beginning when something happens and then life just goes on. But not for the people that are, are grieving because it just stays constant. And I'm, I'm saying that I'm, don't want to let my mind go there, but it's like, oh, well, your son is doing great. He's back to work. He's doing this. La la. I'm the mom. He still lives in my home. I still pamper him. I still struggle with not hovering. I know him. I see him. And I know when things are off. And yeah, he's doing great. And I'm very thankful for where he is right now. But he's not, most people would say, you should be so thankful. And I am. But he's not 100%. And in the back of my mind, there's always the, but what if? And I'm telling you, it was like a year or longer when I finally was getting all weepy all the time. And I'm still weepy. So... Delayed grief is a thing. Definitely. I have to go back and just tell everyone this, though. I totally know why it you, you had delayed grief. Because I remember, first you were just, like, advocating and researching to figure out why he has these weird symptoms. Because everyone was dismissing you. Yes. Everyone was dismissing you. I'm just going to say it. And... You just kept on and you persisted. And we got to say something for moms and that instinct. (laughs) Listen to it. We know what we're talking about. Doctors don't often listen to moms. And if you find one that listens to you, so stick with them. But you were a researcher. Like you still research. I still ask your opinion on stuff because I'm like, you probably looked into this. (laughs) Like you become like. It's like you get your PhD in this stuff almost and you didn't go to medical school, but you're like, I might as well. So you're researching and you're looking up everything, medications and alternatives and treatments and all this stuff. So I saw that. So you had to be like the nurse and then the aftercare part when he's not feeling great and all those things and also become a specialist in supplements and nutrition yes so that was taking up so much of your mental focus oh yeah and learning how to fight with the insurance company oh yeah i remember those too like you approve this and then things would be like oh he's not approved for this today like and it would already be yeah uh but if you've ever dealt with anything like that it's if it's taking up so much of your mental focus, mm-hmm. how could you be like, oh well, every day I'm going to sit down and devote my emotions and and feeling and like feeling it and all that? No, I no, and I had to still, I had to be strong for him because he didn't need me. He needed to focus on 
his healing and what he needed to do. So having his mom be a basket case all the time was not going to serve him well. And that was another component for me. It's like, okay, I just shut everything down. Because he would have been like, wow, my mom is falling apart. I guess I don't have any hope. She must know something that I don't know. Or I don't know what he would think, but I can just picture that. If you, if you saw that. Yeah, I did. And so, you know, it's I a lot. I I was going to get. She's like, I'm so worried about Tanya doing this episode. <laughs> I, do, so I totally remember that. No, um, I, I will have to, I, I left this part out earlier, but I think it ties into this as that. I had experienced all that loss growing up, but the people closest to me, none of them had ever really experienced a significant loss. And uh, over a year ago, we experienced the loss of my in-laws, 82 days apart. Mm. I mean, that, I mean, of course we knew they had health problems. They were elderly. We brought them closer, you know, so we could monitor what was going on and all this thing was going on with them. But that still was a lot. And it was the first time my husband and my children experienced a significant loss. And I felt like it was my duty to be that pillar of strength for them and get them through that. And I'm just more of an empathetic person. And I was absorbing their loss, like what they felt, especially one of my daughters was extremely close to her grandmother. And I worried about her night and day. And I just know like my kids were all hurting. My husband was hurting. And in the beginning, it's like when our, my father-in-law passed away first, then we're all just rallying around my mother-in-law because she had been with him decades and decades. She even said, I don't know what to do with myself because all I've ever done is take care of him. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a profound statement she made the night he died. And we just thought, oh, like we just have to be for, there for her as much as we can. And so we we kind of took our grief that we were having like, we we just lost someone. And then when we were here for her, we had a purpose and we were like all wrapped up into that in that purpose of taking care of her and to lose her so suddenly after it hit us like the whole family. We were just shattered. Um, But I did like, what can I do? I was always like, that's when I found that quote I read at the beginning. What can I do? What can I read to my daughter? What can I set there? What can I share with my husband or my kids and all this stuff? And we did a lot of the sharing of photos and videos and we were just keeping her memory alive, but also being sad. And my counselor's the one that kind of said, okay, but what about you? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you feeling? And as the daughter-in-law, I was like, well, you know, I'm the daughter-in-law didn't, I didn't want to like make anything about me, but I was really sad because I love my in-laws. I don't know that everyone has that situation. And it didn't, it didn't come naturally in the beginning. It was like, oh, in-laws. I thought like, 
it was kind of weird because my father-in-law was my principal (laughs) in the beginning, like, you know, to just grow, to feel like he's a father figure. It was like a growth over time. But, and then in the beginning I had this, that weird thing where you kind of like, am I in competition with that woman? That's his mother. Like, (laughs) I think a lot of daughters-in-law feel like that, but I wasn't in competition with her. Definitely, I'm not just making this up. She's my favorite person in the world. Like, she made me laugh. She was so pure-hearted. And I love my mother-in-law so much. I had always planned that I wanted to speak at her funeral. But in the end, there was no way I could do it. Because I was like, if I go up there and speak at my mother-in-law's funeral, my kids are going to see me break down and they're already so sad. So I was like, I can't do it. I'm going to pass off the passage that I found that I wanted to read. I gave it to my son because he's a pastor and let him read it because he'd already done all the emotional stuff there. And he read it well and I was proud of him. But I was like, oh, I felt like I kind of failed my goal. Like I was going to read something. I couldn't do it. So I don't think we shouldn't have to justify our grief, but I still was doing that thing. The thing I told you, I protect others. I don't want them to see how sad I was, but still like that's a pretty new loss. It's been a little over a year, but that still really hurts that we lost them so close together and it all I mean even though you go oh well they lived a long life they were in their 80s I hear from people whose family member was in their hundreds but doesn't mean that they don't still miss them it's like you still miss them because if someone's in your family for a hundred years they definitely have an impact and you feel the loss when they're not there anymore. You just cannot help but feel that loss. So I just wanted to add that in that family members, ex- people around you, we we all have experienced a loss kind of uniquely and it can create some conflicts. Yeah. When you're all going through a grief process and you're not all experiencing it the same. No, not at all. Absolutely. I mean, with our son, my husband and I handle it very differently. And we have to respect each other in that. Yeah. I definitely see the difference in how my husband grieves and how I do. And um, he's still kind of in his what if stage. Not all the time. But I try and help him there because I was in the what if stage a long time. So maybe what I went through, you know, is is going to help someone else if I can share it. And that's why I am sharing this episode because I really don't want to talk about this. Even though we, we know what are the two things that are absolutes in life, taxes and death, right? Is that what they say? Yeah. Taxes is a joke. Or not, but you all know we're human beings that we're that we're going to die. We don't know when, but we're going to talk a little bit about this. We say we're Christians, and the Bible tells us that there's a date for our birth and a date for our death. It's we it's there. 
we're not going to change it. So even though you know that, it just it just sucks so bad. That it, that loss, it's just so horrible. If it's sudden, if it's prolonged, I know some people say, "Well, I would rather if if I knew someone was going to die, I would rather it be like this or that or whatever." Like I've known people that lost someone suddenly. I've known people that have lost someone because something was years in the making. Um, it just doesn't make it any easier either way. You can try and rationalize all that and say that you think one way or the other is better. If if you're losing someone, you're losing them. And it's, it is heartbreaking and sad. And I just think that it's okay to talk about it and it's okay not to talk about it. So man, there's a lot of it. I don't talk about it because I don't like it when I get that crack in my voice or those tears in my eyes. And I told this to Charlene before, I don't like to cry. I am a woman and I think it's unnecessary and I get mad at myself and I feel like frustrated if I cry in front of anyone and I just feel weak. I don't like the way it feels. And you may be the opposite and say, oh, I just love a good cry. It's therapeutic, whatever. It's not to me. So that's why I just like shelved this one a lot. But sometimes you got to talk about it. Sometimes you do. And we believe that God has a plan and that he's made a promise to us about eternity. And so I'm not sure how people that don't believe that deal with grief. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm sure everyone questions sometimes. We don't know. What is it? You know, it's not like people come back and tell you this is what it's going to be like for sure. Like we, but when you do lose someone and you have that reassurance of a faith that I'm going to see them again and it's going to be restored and fulfilled and all that, it does help in the grieving process. Just hope. It does like hope, like you're left with some hope. And until you can start to focus on that, I think it is hard to get on the other side of grief where we talk about healing. Mm. I can't say that you're ever like, well, I'm over that. (laughs) If it's a loss of a loved one, even though I barely remember my mother, I there were certain times when I'm like, I wish I had my mother with me. And, and I have something complex now that I do have a birth mother in my life. And we'll talk about that one day, but like, I still knew there was this couple that really wanted a baby and they picked me, they picked me and we barely got any time together. And so (laughs) I still grieve that. I still grieve that. But is there anything else you would like to say about grief? <laughs> like, have we said enough? Have I we shed enough tears? We've said enough. And I guess what I could say is never minimize your grief. And because your grief doesn't look like somebody else's, it doesn't matter. It's yours. It's no valid. Matter. It's still valid. Yeah, it's valid. And it's yours. And you don't have to say, well, that person had it so much worse. Of course, what, it, you know, we could 
all find something worse than what we've experienced, I guess. Yes. But, you know, there are other even forms of grief, you know. Um, real quick, I just want to name out some of them to lighten this up a little bit. That you can have the grief over a loss of a job or your, your a career. Loss of relocating to a new place where you you don't know anybody. I could raise my hand to that. You know, maybe a loss of financial freedom. Something catastrophic happened and you could lose everything. And that would be a form of grief. Losing yourself or your individuality. A loss of a romantic relationship and into a marriage or even a long-term relationship with someone that you really cared about. Retirement seems final for a lot of people. It's like, oh, what am I going to do now? And some people have a hard time dealing with that. Being separated from like your family member for like military families, you know, there's probably some grieving the loss of, oh, oh, will we see mom or dad again? How long will it be before they come home? That there could be that or my spouse, you know, I'm here by myself. Or just declining health or getting a health diagnosis would cause you to grieve. When I finally got one of my health diagnosis after like 20 plus years of searching and saying there's something not right with me, I went through a grieving process. I was grieving food. <laughs> but yeah, I went through a short time of grieving over that. So just... Never minimize it. It's real. And there will be times when maybe you have to set it aside because you still have to do life. Because in all of the things that we talked about today and all the things we talk about on this podcast, we can't just wallow in it very long because we have to keep moving forward. But there are some things that will linger for a long time and you're going to have your moments and they're going to come and go and don't beat yourself up over it because grieving is not linear and there's no, like, it doesn't have a time frame, right? Yeah. Like, don't panic. If you just found something resurfacing and you thought, I thought I dealt with this. I'm sitting here getting weepy about something 50 years ago. You know, yes. <laughs> my whole life. So it's fine. It's fine. If, if it resurfaces, you're you're not going to go in a spiral. It's just like it's that emotion that has to come back. And you just kind of like sit in it a while and just then let it be, you know. But I just wanted to say that. Yeah, there's not a timeline. No, not at all. It's a journey. So before we close, I'm just going to read this one part about, it's from uh, the grief toolbox, the other side of grief. Okay. This is another side of grief where the tears still flow, not as often where memory springs smiles, not just sadness, where blessings are recognized, not just struggles, where joy and peace are present, not just sorrow where you are remembered, not just mourned. Thanks for joining us today. Hopefully something we discussed resonated with you. We encourage you to challenge your thoughts and feelings as you move through this week 
in an effort to prevent unnecessary spilling. Join us again next Tuesday for another spilt episode with Charlene and Tanya.